This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. We're coming to you from Franklin, Tennessee. I can't say we're coming to you live from Franklin, although we're live sitting here, Michael. We are we are alive. <laughs> uh, but uh, we do get the opportunity to come your way each week at this time. And yeah. uh, we, we know from hearing from listeners how much you appreciate and are growing to appreciate our time together. And, and I don't know, it's just fun for us to do what we get to do here. Yeah, I think if even if no one were listening in, I think we would still do this. <laughs> you think we could sell that idea? Uh, I don't the know. The program that no one listened to? <laughs> I don't know. Well, we're going to have a good time centered on the Word of God here today. Michael will sing some songs for us as well. And from time to time, almost every week, we bring a good friend into mm. the studio with us. We have to do it via the telephone today, but he is yes. a very good friend of both of us. Yeah, he is, and he is a, a huge hero of mine. Pastor Don Cole is with us today, so I'm anxious to hear what he has to say. Pastor Cole, welcome. Well, thanks for letting me join you. Oh. Now, we caught you on a bit of a break, didn't we? You're all the way out in California. Right, I am. I'm visiting in the home of my daughter, Stephanie, and her husband, Mark. Well, Pastor, we're going to open to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 here in just a few moments and talk about uh, questions of faith that draw us closer to Christ as our program today. But before we do any of that, I, I know that you enjoy Michael's music. Very much. And we have uh, chosen a song called Could It Be? And Michael, I was uh, told by you you'd like to introduce this song. You said, don't don't step on my lines. I want to do this introduction. Well, it, I, I don't remember <laughs> saying it quite like that. But uh, th- this is a song that uh, means a lot to me because it's it's based on the this whole idea of uh, Christ not being the answer man. Mm. Uh, Jesus didn't come to give us answers. Jesus came to give us himself. And so often he drives us to him by questions that go unanswered in our lives. And that's what the song's really about. Steve, Mike Sell, and Ken Lewis join you here in the studio as they accompany you on this song. It's called Could It Be? Here's Michael Card. As we wander through the years We're told to listen to a voice We can't hear with our ears They say to live by something That you can't see with your eyes Is there really any purpose To this foolish exercise? Could it be you make your presence known So often by your absence Could it be that questions tell us more Than answers ever do Could it be that you would really rather die Than live without us Could it be the only answer That means anything is you silence, in our pride and in our shame, to the genius and the scholar, to the foolish and insane, to the ones who care to seek you, and to the ones who never will, you are the only answer, even still. Thank you, Michael. Could it be that our questions tell us more than answers ever do? And let's turn right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Mike, would you like to start reading the passage here, and then we'll get Pastor Cole's comments. Yeah, this is verse 18. I know very well how foolish the message of the cross sounds to those who are on the road to destruction. But we who are being saved recognize this message as the very power of God. As the scripture says, I will destroy human wisdom and discard their most brilliant ideas. (laughs) So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? 
God has made them all look foolish and has shown their wisdom to be useless nonsense. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never find him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save all who believe. God's way seems foolish to the Jews because they want a sign from heaven to prove it's true. And it is foolish to the Greeks because they believe only what agrees with their own wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the mighty power of God and the wonderful wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is far wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is far stronger than the greatest of human strength. Pastor Don Cole, that's part of the upside-down thinking of the gospel, isn't it? Oh, it is. From the time that I was saved, I've loved this passage without fully understanding it. I'm sure that there are many depths in it that I can't sound now. One thing is fairly clear, and that is that in this chapter, Paul is speaking primarily to the temptation of people in Corinth to exalt and magnify ordinary wisdom. And by wisdom, Sophia, I mean the ideas that the great Greek philosophers touted. And as a consequence, there were terrible divisions in the church. Now, those are explained or at least alluded to in the preceding verses where he said, what I mean is that each one of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. And Paul says, is Christ divided? Mm. Was Paul crucified for you? And so on and so forth. He's speaking about these people who were squabbling over ideologies of one kind or another, perverting the gospel into ideologies. And then he wants to talk about the power of the cross, which is the essence of the gospel. And I think we understand the connection between these believers and this uh, passage against the wisdom of the Greek philosophers. If we turn back to Isaiah 29, mm-hmm. where these verses are quoted. Here's what we read in Isaiah 29. And the Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment of men learned by rote, therefore, behold, I will again do marvelous things with this people, wonderful and marvelous, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hid. Hmm. And Jesus quoted that very same thing. You find it in the 15th chapter of Matthew, where he talked about the uh, Israelite or the Judean philosophers, that is, Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says, you draw near to me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And I think he's talking to these Corinthians and telling them to be sure that they've got the root of the matter. And that is Christ. He is wisdom. Christ is. It's it's a marvelous passage that follows, and you can hear Paul reflecting on the things that he said on uh, what we call, like to call, Mars Hill, the Areopagus, as described or recorded in the 17th chapter of Acts. I think he was thinking in that mode here. Mm. Do you think that that sort of Greek uh, rationalism is still alive and well today? As much as it was in the days of the Greeks, we've even improved on it. Hmm. In other words, we have written hundreds, thousands of books expounding Aristotle and Plato and all of the rest of them, commentaries galore. And uh, sometimes, uh, well, for example, one of my granddaughters is a student at the University of Wisconsin. And when people say to me, where is your granddaughter? I say, she's in Athens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got the idea? Mm-hmm. Does, this, uh, does this lead us to anti-intellectualism then, Pastor? It depends on how you define intellectualism. 
uh, you have to distinguish between intellectualism and being intelligent mm. and using your intelligence. But an intellectual is not necessarily an intelligent person. Not necessarily enlightened. No, not necessarily enlightened or necessarily intelligent. Intellectualism is a worldview. Mm-hmm. It's a stance. It's a mode of thinking in which God is out and human wisdom and human rationalization is in. That is intellectualism. The intellectuals of any community are rarely the Christian people. At the same time, in many of our communities today, the most highly intelligent people are Christian people, as well as being wise. This is the point that Paul wants to make, the things of the cross, whether you're talking about Jews or Greeks, they were the prominent people of his time, they are foolishness. Mm -hmm. Well, I am anti-intellectual in the sense that I think that their philosophy is uh, not only wrong, but it is destructive. It takes people to hell. But I am certainly not against the use of intelligence. I thank God for well-educated men in the Christian community who can take these philosophers apart. For example, Philip Johnson, who's written these books recently about Darwin and other aspects of uh, Darwinism. Ravi Zacharias is a, another uh, yeah, another prime one. I example. Love, I just love to hear these fellows talk. Yeah. And nobody listening to them could say that these are unintelligent men. On the other hand, we all know that they are not intellectuals. Yeah. Defining an intellectual as one with that world view that eliminates God. Yeah. For whom the the center has become the intellect and not God. Yes. Yeah. Do you think that we've used this as an excuse to grow lazy then in our thinking? The thing about it is he as Paul makes clear here in talking to the church in Corinth, he said, Not many of you are wise mm. by the world's standards. Yeah, he's he's telling them that not many of them were in that class of people that uh, hung around the Areopagus and exchanged ideas and asked about the latest ideas. And in any congregation that you find, for the most part, we're ordinary people. Mm -hmm. But we're not lazy. Most of us get as much education as we can in our lives, and we live our lives. And thank God for the wisdom that is in Christ Jesus. Mm. But we have, in every Christian community of any size, a few people who can take on the biggies. And the kind of work that they do is not primarily to defeat philosophers who deny Christ, but to reassure ignoramuses like me and some others I know that uh, what we believe in, though we describe it as the faith, is nevertheless intellectually respectable. Mm -hmm. Because you take Christianity and contrast that or compare it with any ideology or philosophy in the world, and we have nothing to be ashamed of. Mm. As Paul could say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But, but Pastor Cole, don't you think that this, this whole uh, central core of, of what Paul calls uh, foolishness, is that not uh, what drives us to faith, the fact that uh, we can't grasp it with our minds? It's bigger than we are. It is bigger than we are. Many of us are marginal people. The reason we come to Christ in the first place, though, is not because we are overwhelmed by intellectual problems, Mm -hmm. not because Mm -hmm. I can't figure out whether the earth was made in six days or seven days or six billion years times six billion. We come to Christ primarily because we find no other source of forgiveness of sins, Mm -hmm. a sense of guilt over sin that makes us come to Christ. And then we examine the gospel and we find that it doesn't make sense at all. Mm-hmm. And yet we believe it. Mm-hmm. For example, who can possibly believe that God is triune and that God the Son actually became a human being in order to do what God could not do, mm-hmm. and that is die? <laughs> but being God, he could not be kept dead, he could not stay dead. So he rose from the grave. Mm -hmm. It's getting easier now to say he rose from the grave 
and he ascended into heaven. Those are easy propositions. But to say that he became man in the first place, if you can believe that, then you are a Christian and you've believed the hardest thing of all. And to the world out there, it's utter foolishness. Hmm. But you and I know it's not foolishness. I was talking to our friend uh, Gary Witherall uh, last week, and he was talking about that that very issue in terms of reaching out to the Muslim community, this this idea of... Uh, of, of of saying to them, you know, that Jesus is God, and he said, well, they'll they'll respond with things like, well, what happened to the world when God was in the womb of a woman for nine months? What what did the world do then? I mean, uh, it, it really does sound like foolishness when it's mirrored back, uh, especially these days from the Muslim community that we're you know seeking to reach out to. That's true, yeah. but it's no more difficult now talking to them than it was to the Greeks. Hmm. And it's also, in my thinking, it's probably significant that when Paul was on Mars Hill in Athens, he made very few converts, Mm -hmm. a few women. Interesting. And one guy, so few of the Areopagites, meaning the biggies up there, that they could even remember his name. Right. They just said, come back tomorrow. We'll talk about this again. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) This is just another philosophy, and they're used to hearing philosophies. Well, and I think it points to the fact, guys, that that this is essentially a matter of the heart, that God, the Holy Spirit, he does obviously speak to the mind. Our our minds matter, but this is a transaction that takes place in the spirit, you know, in the imagination. Um, And uh, I think that's why God seeks to recapture our imaginations the way he does in his his word. But uh, as you're saying, Don, certainly the... the, uh, while it's not uh, intellectualism, there there is a, an intellectual depth to Christianity that you'll oh, never hit the bottom of. You never do. You yeah. never do. Yeah. And I don't attempt to argue with Muslims or anybody, even yeah. about the deity of Jesus. No, no. I say Jesus died and rose from the dead. I'm convinced that the first Christians, the earliest Christians, had a minimal grasp of theology. Mm-hmm. But they found Jesus, yeah. and they believed in him. They believed he could save them. And as they went on, it took, uh, in some cases, it took decades for theology as we understand it to become understood by the masses of Christians. But listen how deep it is. Mm. Speaking of God, he is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom, our righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Because of the order that they're given here, I think when he says redemption, he has in mind the redemption of the body Mm -hmm. at the time of the resurrection. But all of these things here are the sorts of things that did occupy the minds of deep thinkers in the past. Wisdom, of course, was what they adored. Mm. Philosophia, love of wisdom. Righteousness, uh, you know, since I came to California... I saw in the Orange County Register, the newspaper, reference to a group of uh, rock stars who call themselves the Righteous Brothers. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of them? Oh, well, sure. That goes back all the way to the 60s, oh, too, yeah. another former group. Yeah. Them, but, oh, yeah. But our righteousness, and that's a forensic term, our sanctification, our redemption. Mm-hmm. Therefore it is written, let him who boasts, boast of the Lord. And I don't care how many degrees you have, how much knowledge you have. We all want that. Mm. And I strive after knowledge, forever knocking myself out reading stuff. It would be much easier to go fishing. Well, that, that leads me but, to the question I wanted to ask you, uh, Pastor Don Cole, and that, and that is, uh, what is the goal of, of uh, seeking knowledge and learning then for the, for the believer, for the follower of Christ? How would you enunciate it? We've talked around the issue. Just talk directly to it, would you? Well, it's very interesting to me that the Apostle Peter says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in the very first chapter of that second, that's the way he ends that epistle. And in the very first chapter of that same epistle, he speaks about growing in knowledge. And he contrasts it with senility. Hmm. He gives you a description of someone with Alzheimer's. Hmm. At the end of that first chapter, he talks about people being blind, who cannot see. They've forgotten that they were cleansed of their sins. 
knowledge, going on to learn more and more about God, should be one of the primary drives of all Christian people. You never get satisfied. And I know I have to tell you that uh, I'll be 80 in a couple of months. Mm. I've been reading the Bible for a long time. And I cannot pick up the Scripture. And I'm not exaggerating here. I'm not lying. At my age, I have no interest in impressing you guys. I'm not going to get a raise. <laughs> but, but I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I cannot open Scripture and read it reflectively without seeing something I would swear in a stack of Bibles I never saw before. Mm, wow. You have that same experience? Oh, yeah. But it yeah. never stops. Yeah. It never stops. This is a, an inexhaustible fund of knowledge, knowledge about God as revealed mm. through His Word, and of course, primarily through the Son, S O N. Pastor, without knowing it, you just provided the perfect uh, transition into the next segment of our program because yeah. we often have listeners email questions to Michael and. Uh, he, Which he, I can't answer. He struggles with these sometimes. <laughs> but uh, you're used to answering listeners' questions. That's what you've done on Moody Broadcasting for many, many years. So let's just move into this question from a listener right here, because mm. you just talked about a little bit about the answer, Pastor. This comes from Chris, who asks this, What makes the Bible so special? How is it different from other books that mm. claim to be the Word of God? Michael, I'm going to let you go first, right. because I know you won't want to follow Pastor well, Cole, most well, likely. Well, what I wanted to do is just echo back what Don just said. I mean, what's different is that you you can spend your whole life, you can you can uh, revisit passages that you've memorized and realize that you didn't really understand them at all, or there's a whole other depth, and that is that they come alive. And that, that for me, the thing that's different about the Scriptures is that it is alive. Just Hebrews 4 says that, says that it is. This, this book is alive, and it's forever sort of growing and, and, uh, and coming alive in my heart. Don? Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I certainly would echo exactly what yeah. you said, would go on to say this. First of all, the Bible makes claims for itself that no other book makes. Mm. Thus saith the Lord. It's simply shot through with that expression. The mm. prophets all claim to speak for God. The second thing you could say is that there is an amazing unity in books written over a couple of a thousand mm. years, mm. beginning with Genesis and going all the way through to the book of Revelation. And the longer you read it, I was alluding to this before, the more you study it, the longer you spend time with it, the more amazed you are at these threads that begin in Genesis mm -hmm. and run all the way through. Mm. I sometimes tell people who get bogged down in the book of Revelation, which is the happy hunting ground of every heretic there is, <laughs> I tell them, you have no right, really, to get all upset over Revelation. You have to know 65 books before you're really equipped to yeah, deal with Revelation. Good for you, yeah. That doesn't mean you can't benefit from it. Yeah, without it, without it, without it it's foolishness. Con can't concoct some screwy cult because of it. Right. But going over things like this, such as the unity of it, the fact of uh, miracles, we come to the, the basic thing, and that is that it is the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. Mm. And as Hebrews chapter 1 says, in the past God spoke to our forefathers in many ways, but in these last times he speaks to us in or through his Son. You're in Hebrews. I was just looking at Hebrews 4.13 or verse 12, rather. We're, we're so familiar with this. And by the way, we're reading today from the New Living Translation, which I like especially in this case, because mm -hmm. it, it provides just that little extra twist on, because we've become so familiar with it, I think we right. gloss over it. Listen to this. For the Word of God is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. Nothing in all creation can hide from Him. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes. This is the God to whom we must explain all that we have done. Isn't that a fresh uh, translation, mm. Pastor? It's beautiful, and it makes the point, too, that the Bible creates a very different kind of person than do the uh, textbooks of other cults, other religions, that can create fanatics, killers, mm. people who sit cross-legged contemplating their navel. The Bible creates someone 
who is like God to the extent that a human being can be, meaning like Christ. It has that effect on people to the extent that they read it and study it. But we come back to this point, the Bible gives us Jesus, who is not just a guru, Mm. not just another teacher, but who said he would die and on the third day rise from the dead, and he died, and on the third day rose from the dead and showed himself alive by what Luke calls many infallible proofs Mm. and revolutionized a whole crowd of unbelievers, including his disciples, and eventually the whole Western world and much of the world today. That's what the Bible is different. And another thing you can tell anybody who wants to say, well, I don't see any sense in reading the Bible, why shouldn't I read the Koran or what have you, say to them, have you tried it? (laughs) Have you read the Bible? How much of you? Well, people say, oh, yeah, I've read it. And you test them, and it embarrasses you because you discover that they haven't read it. Mm Pastor, our time is gone. Uh, I want to thank you. And Chris, thank you for your question, because we are going to send you a copy of the New Living Translation for writing that to us. So Mm -hmm. that was a good question. Thank you very much. Uh, Don, it's always good to hear your voice. I enjoy um, hearing you on on Moody Radio. It's it's always, uh, I don't know, it's it's comforting to hear you, uh, the sound of your voice, and then it's always challenging, sometimes comforting, sometimes not so comforting to hear the things that you say. But I just want to encourage you. You really mean a lot to me. And, 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 uh, well, it's mutual. I, uh, I have to tell you that uh, anytime I'm tempted to criticize modern music, I think Michael Card. Then I <laughs> <laughs> oh, go ahead and be critical. It's all right. No, no. I have to t- uh, let, me, let me tell you this from the standpoint of an old geezer, and that is that I love the songs you write. I love them indeed. So thank you for all that you do for the kingdom of God. Well said. Thanks, Pastor Cole. You are listening to In the Studio with Michael Card, and we hope that you'll take a moment and send us your thoughts about the program, as well as your Bible questions and prayer requests. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And if you're new to this broadcast, why not stop by our website and learn more about this program and Michael's music and teaching ministry? We're easily found at www.michaelcard.com. Now, if you'd like to hear this complete program again, then visit the audio archives on our radio page. You'll also find more information on how you can obtain a CD copy or transcript of today's studio session. All of this is waiting for you at michaelcard.com. And there's more to come after this break on the Moody Broadcasting Network. We are in the studio with Michael Card. Coming up, we're going to be talking both about creativity and community, two of the things we talk about each week here on the broadcast, Michael. Uh, Two of my favorite subjects. Later, uh, missionary Larry Warren is going to join us. Actually, in just a very few minutes, he'll be here in the studio. I look forward to that. Yeah, Larry is an amazing man who has uh, served God as a missionary all over the world, most especially in Africa. So we're looking forward to seeing him, too. Amen. All right. Let's talk about creativity. But before we do that, let's hear one of your creative songs, Michael. This is called Close Your Eyes. There's a way that a child can look at the world. They see through the eyes of the heart. They see meaning beyond the mystery And hear the silence of the stars So close your eyes so you can see Father of the man 
It's the paradox of God's design So if you would be grown up and mature Then let the light of your childhood shine And close your eyes so Called Close Your Eyes. And uh, Michael, as always, thank you for your music here in mm-hmm. the studio. One of the keys to um, that leads to creativity is imagination, is what you just sang to us about. Oh, yeah. And let's talk about creativity for a moment. Well, that song, um, that's not just a sort of a playful kind of a paradox, close your eyes so you can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, a way of talking about the imagination. There are some things that you can only see by closing your eyes, that is, by engaging your imagination. Jesus will say uh, in uh, Matthew 13, uh, and they have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see. And those are the people who, who are not willing to use their imaginations and, and really listen with their hearts as well as their minds. Do you find who, people who are concerned about you know, opening our minds up to imaginative things or... Yeah, I think people that are, there are people that are scared of it. Uh, unfortunately, we've inherited from the King James translation uh, this tendency to only think of the imagination in bad uh, ways because uh, King James always uses, the, uses that word men in their sinful imagination. Oh, I see, okay. So people don't understand that your imagination really is part of the image of God uh, that's in you. So it's a, one of the gifts he's given it's to us. It's definitely one of the, and it's one of the things that he's the most intent on recapturing. I think that's why he speaks to us through the prophets with metaphors and through uh, parables and through songs. I mean, most of the Bible is not this sort of didactic propositional truth. It's story. And and certainly the incarnation, uh, you know, through his life, Jesus reaches out to us. I mean, the cross is one of the greatest magnets, you know, of your imagination that I can uh, imagine, (laughs) that I can possibly (laughs) imagine. So if we're going to talk about creativity, we have to begin to understand this God-given imagination that we have and how we feed that and how we maintain that. What's a starting point for us then? What, What guides us? Well, I think Bill Lane taught me it was listening. Uh, this de- this idea of developing a lifestyle of listening, listening to the Word of God, listening to prayer, listening to the silence of prayer, and listening to your own life. I think one of the pivotal passages in, is in Matthew 12, uh, 33. Jesus says, A tree is identified by its fruit. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes, how could evil men like you speak what is good and right for... Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. And another way of saying is that out of the overflow Mm -hmm. of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so the question comes back, how do we maintain that overflow? Because if we're going to be creative the the way God wants us to be, uh, we have to have an overflowing heart. And the only way to do that is is to develop a, a devotional life, that is a lifestyle of listening to God's Word, listening to the silence of prayer, and listening to your own life. What is healthy spiritual imagination then? Well, I think it's one that's yielded to God. I mean, you know, you bring every thought captive, right, to Christ. And so a, a healthy imagination is one that's yielded and, 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 is, and uh, has been recaptured by the Holy Spirit. Uh, because if you think about it, the sins that have the most power over us are sins of the imagination. You know, greed, lust, mm-hmm. you know, hate, all of these things take place in the imagination. And so once again, God is so intent on recapturing our imaginations through his prophets and through his word and most especially through his son. So a healthy biblical imagination is one that's yielded to God. And then I think the imagination becomes a bridge between the heart and the mind. It's it's the door, I believe, that Jesus is knocking on in, in the early chapters of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And then the the revelation vision begins, John says, I behold 
a door open, and I think it was the door of his imagination. Hmm. And I'm beginning to understand how the Word unlocks that imagination, because as we've studied the Word together so many times, you know, things will leap off the page at me that cause me to ask questions, and and, uh, you've been helpful in teaching all of us to think in those terms. Well, well, thank you, and and that's my experience as well, Wayne. I mean, you you, you look at passages of Scripture you've you've read all your life, and all of a sudden uh, the Spirit sort of breathes, and they they come to life, and I think what has happened is that door has opened. You know, Jesus has been knocking all all along, Hmm. and and, uh, passages uh, begin to speak and to come alive, and we hear the, the tone of voice of the writer, and we begin to see, you know, the Jesus' feet are, are anointed and the smell of the perfume fills hmm. the house. I mean, and all of a sudden you're there. And and Bill Lane would say you have to interact with Scripture at the level of your imagination. And, and that's precisely when it, it takes root and, and starts to live. One of the most helpful things, and I think I've learned that here in the studio, is to, um, well, you've written about Peter most mm-hmm. recently, the emotional life of Peter. Place myself in Peter's place. Yeah. What would I be feeling? You know, and while we're different people, we are both human, and whatever I might be feeling, you can kind of project that and kind of understand Peter a little differently and right. perhaps more accurately. Right, and it, and it's always not just a projection. Sometimes we're given the information in Scripture so that we can make a, a very solid emotional connection. I mean, you know, perhaps he's afraid. Well, I don't have to imagine what being afraid it tells me, feels yeah. like. Yeah, I, I know from Scripture that that's the emotion that uh, Peter or someone else was actually feeling. And consistently Jesus will say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. We often hear you use the phrase, the disciplined use of the imagination. Yeah. What is the disciplined part of it? Well, that's another, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm just this monster that Bill Lane created. Uh, <laughs> and that's one of his phrases, the disciplined use of the imagination. I think what what that is, is, is the disciplined use of a mind applied to Scripture, where we see the context, where we, we uh, look for details, uh, even individual words. We'll mm. run down the meaning of a word. Uh, that, that displays a certain discipline, because it's not just touchy-feely, oh, I imagine this, I imagine that. Right. Uh, you know, the Spirit constrains me, and, and I use my imagination, you know, as the Holy Spirit gives me grace and gives me power to do that. Just very briefly, what would you want our listeners to take away from this discussion of creativity? Well, uh, first of all, I mean, there's there's always a mixed group out there uh, when you talk about creativity. There are the people who say, uh, perhaps it's the largest group, there are people who say, oh, I'm not creative. And to those people, I always appeal to the life of Jesus and say, did Jesus write any poems? Did Jesus paint any pictures? Did he write any songs? Because that invariably is their value system. Oh, I'm not creative because I don't paint pictures. Well, Jesus never painted any picture. Mm. Uh, and to those people, I say, look hard at the life of Jesus and see what real creativity is all about. And then there are the people who who are um, caught up in creative work. And uh, to them, also, I point back to Jesus and say, let him be the pattern for your creative life. Well, Michael, this is so very helpful today to think in these terms about creativity. Another key, we've talked about this before, is uh, just looking to God's creation is our is our. Uh, our source. Yeah, the heavens declare the glory of God, and he does fire our imaginations with the beauty of creation. I think that thought is captured well in this song I'm going to ask you to sing now, called Morning Has Broken.
the rain's new fall, sunlit from heaven, like the first dew fall on the first grass. Praise for the sweetness of the wet garden, sprung in A guest joins us in the studio now. Larry Warren is here of African Leadership. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out what that's all about in just a moment. Is uh, Africa a place you've been to, though? Uh, no, I've never been there. I was supposed to go a couple of times. <laughs> I've never uh, been there either. And it got canceled both times. Did? Okay. Yeah. But I, I introduced Larry as the most dangerous person I know. How so? Well, I'll I'll be he going. Looks in, pretty calm to me. Oh here. no no no! Don't don't let his appearance <laughs> fool you. Uh, we'll go. I'll be going to empty hands or something, and my wife will say, "Is Larry going to be there?" And I'll say, "Well, yeah. Well, I don't want you spending any time with Larry because if you do, you'll end up in Africa." So welcome, Larry. Thanks, Mike. My heroes. Great to be here. What is African leadership? African leadership is a Christian education organization. Uh, we train church leaders in Africa. Uh, and then we fund some development projects in the same communities where we're training those church leaders. And how, why, I mean, your heart is so big for this continent, why? Well, it started in 1986. Uh, You probably remember the pictures on TV about the famine in Ethiopia. Hmm. And I was in business here in Nashville and started asking myself, what is the response of the Christian in America to the Hmm. needs of our brothers and sisters in such desperate need? Long story short, in just a few months, uh, I ended up in Ethiopia. And uh, doing, To live. You were there. No, well, I first went to visit distributing food and uh, started raising some money and raising awareness here in the States uh, for famine response. But while I was there, the other stunning fact was that the church was healthy. The, the African church mm-hmm. was growing. And <laughs> yet most of the church leaders said, I have no opportunity for training. Yeah, there are Bible colleges in Africa, and I, we're all for them. But there just aren't enough of them. So... Within the next few years, I started, I'd been looking around and found a curriculum written by a man named Dr. Dennis Mock, and his goal was to provide the basic uh, leadership training that a man needs to shepherd a local flock. Hmm. So in 1992, I did move back to Africa, moved to Kenya, and for the last 10 years have been training church leaders, uh, mainly men who are already pastoring churches, uh, giving them an opportunity to get more equipped to do their job. Uh, do you mind telling us about, uh, about what happened at Cape Town? Well, after, you know, the 80s and 90s were pretty violent times in, in, in South Africa because of the apartheid years. And after we moved from, after we established the ministry in Kenya, turned over local leaders, we moved to, to Cape Town, basically to travel throughout Southern Africa, uh, offering our curriculum. And I happened to join a local church there, uh, the St. James Church of England, uh, just before Mandela was elected. And uh, just to give you an idea of what was going on then, uh, the the blacks of South Africa had said, we're going to keep pressure on the white government, and we're going to be basically doing terrorist attacks until the white government sets a, a, a date for the first uh, non-racial election. And just before that, uh, hmm. um, we went to church on a Sunday night, just like we always do. Uh, fortunately, my wife had just found out she was pregnant, and she and the boys stayed home. Otherwise, I'd have been there on time <laughs> and, frankly, wouldn't be here today. Uh, but that was the, the Lord's timing. I got there late and sat in a different place than where we always sit. And a few minutes into the service, uh, two gunmen came in, opened fire on the congregation. And uh, after they'd emptied their AK-47s, uh, 
they two other men came in and threw grenades in and one of them landed right where we always sat mm. and uh so hey you know i'm not only just happy to be here i'm happy to be anywhere yeah, yeah. uh but that's that was uh a time that god just got my attention that it's all up to him so at that at that point why don't you say Forget Africa. I'm, you know, I'm out of here. <laughs> I've done. I've, safe I've done good work. You know, that's what I would have been going through my mind. What, Did your heart diminish what in happened? any way? Well, you know, it was it was so encouraging the response of the church. Uh, uh, the pastor there, uh, Frank Retif, uh, led us through a time of forgiveness hmm. and and teaching on the sovereignty of God. And the question was not uh, why were those people killed. That's really God's business. Mm -hmm. But why are we still here? Especially people like me who, Mm. if I'd been in charge of the evening, I would have sat in the place and I'd be, I wouldn't be here, but that's God's business. Mm -hmm. And that focus on, he gave us on, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works he prepared in advance for us to do Mm -hmm. and convinced us God's just not finished with us yet. That's why we're still still here. Mm -hmm. Let's be focused on Mm. What else is he got for us to do, not why the mysteries of God happen? Hmm. And Larry, um, you feel that the church here, believers here, those of us listening today have a responsibility for the training of leaders in Africa. Help us understand that connection and help us see that uh, here firsthand. Well, over the years, I've, uh, I've realized from watching the growth of the church in Africa that uh, you know, the 19th century was a time of sending missionaries and thank the Lord for their work. But the mm-hmm. 20th century was a time of of uh, equipping the nationals. Mm-hmm. The national yeah. church is, is doing a great job. And I think the 21st century is a time of serving the national church. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, we have to ask ourselves, why has God given us so many resources here? Mm-hmm. Second uh, Corinthians eight says we should give that there may be equality among the believers. Mm-hmm. I mean, what does that mean? I don't think it means everybody has the same amount of money, but I think we do meet, move toward meeting equally the basic needs. Mm-hmm. And our brothers and sisters, you know, Southern Africa is the population center of our faith. There are more believers in Sub-Saharan Africa than any other geographical place in the world. No, wow, that, that probably That's surprised amazing. a lot of people to hear just yeah. now. You know, you talk to the missiologists, the guys that know more than me, those who count the Christians will say, mm-hmm. in God's sovereignty, he's decided that that's the population center of our faith right now. And so I believe we do have a responsibility. The scripture says, do good to all men, but especially those in the household of faith. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the uh, the Gentile church uh, giving back to the church in Jerusalem, uh, you know, mm-hmm. later in Paul's time, same same sort of idea. I mean, the core is now in Africa. I never, I'd never heard that. Larry, I know that you network with a lot of ministries. Um, you, you see this as something we do together rather than, you know, you do your thing over there and I'll do my thing over here. Uh, how, did, how did that come about? Well, we, we want to present a holistic gospel. And as we are there to train church leaders, um, we listen to the church leaders. And besides the curriculum that we offer, the men tell us these are the needs in our body. Mm. First, unemployment. You know, less than half the people in sub-Saharan Africa have a job. Mm. And so we, we started working with a group called Learn to Earn that provides skills training for the unemployed. And then we started a small bank because we found even if they had a skill, mm-hmm. because the economies are so weak in some of these countries, we need to give them seed money to start their own businesses. Mm-hmm. Micro loans, that kind exactly. of thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we ask business people here in the U.S. to partner with their business experience and with some seed money. Uh, to equip these people that they want to support themselves. Mm -hmm. The other thing we hear is uh, just this past summer when I was in Africa and I brought our national directors together from several countries. And I want to talk about the spiritual health of the church. But they said, you know, we can't just talk about the spiritual health unless we talk about the physical health. Mm -hmm. You know, in in sub-Saharan Africa, there has been a drought. The worst drought in 50 years is going on right now. Mm. And they said, we've got to feed the people. So that's been our most recent thing was to raise awareness of the drought and the famine, encourage believers here to send money, send food uh, in the name of Jesus through the church. What can we do to help? Yeah, what what does African leadership need? You know, African leadership uh, needs healthy partnerships. I think that's that's 
and what those partnerships look like, uh, we want to connect African church leaders with American churches and individuals. Mm. And, and they'll end up looking like a lot of different things. Uh, you know, right now we're, we're raising funds to build a, a, a community center for people with AIDS. That's the other thing that most people are becoming aware. Seventy percent of the AIDS in the world is in southern Africa. Mm-hmm. The churches need to know how do we respond to those infected and those affected. It's a huge crisis. The church cannot ignore. Mm-hmm. Sure. So we need partnerships with the medical community. Uh, to come alongside the churches with uh, AIDS awareness, education programs, uh, the distribution of the antiretrovirals. Uh, so we need relationships. We need to hear from churches and individuals that say, I want to help in Africa. Yeah. And let me introduce them to someone that can be their partner on the other side. Yeah. Larry, in conclusion here, have you ever met somebody who didn't have something to contribute? You know, I haven't. Uh, oh. I mean, that's just that's the way God makes us. Mm. We're all gifted. And we all have something to give. Mm. And, and that's what has been so exciting is to watch these healthy partnerships develop when we see the needs and the blessings uh, passed from person to person. Mm. Well, Michael, thank you for inviting Larry to come well, to be in the co- studio with us coming, today. Larry. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I think one thing we can do, we can put a link to his website on michaelcard.com mm-hmm. so our listeners can find it easily. But it is africanleadership.org. That's it. Is your website. So I, I urge our listeners to go there. Larry, thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. And this has been In the Studio with Michael Card. We hope that you'll get in touch with us and let us know what you think of this program. Here's a note we just received from a listener named Carol. I've just learned about the radio program, and I'm listening. Thank you for keeping your ministry Christ-centered and Bible-based and for avoiding the glitz. God bless you and keep you close to Him as you continue to study and to share what you're learning by His Spirit. Well, you can send your comments, Bible questions, and prayer requests to inthestudio at michaelcard.com. And if you need more information about this program, then join us on the web at www.michaelcard.com. And when you join us, be sure to check out the great resources available for those who become members of a section we call the community. And if you'd like to go back and listen again to this broadcast, then go to our radio page for the audio archive. CD copies or printed transcripts of this or any in the studio program are also available to order. And a complete listing of Michael's music and books can be found online. Just click michaelcard.com. And then don't forget to join us next week. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris, our producer Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Carr. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.